Hello, and welcome to the Honest Politics Podcast. My name is Alex Gamsik, and I'm the founder of Honest Politics, LLC. My company does high-level political consulting, but not for politicians. My services are catered to everyday Americans just like you and me. So let's get started today by looking at an article that I found while searching for academic literature on Martin Luther King Jr. to celebrate the day that's named after him, and which I thankfully have all from my day job. <laughs> so this, um, this article was written by Brian Hamilton, who is an assistant professor of religion at Florida Southern College. He's a realtor and a pricing strategy advisor with Keller Williams. He teaches ethics, theology, and gender studies. So this article is about navigating moral struggle towards a social model of exemplarity. That's the title. Um, I want to make clear first, it's not an academic study. It's an essay. So it was published in the Journal of Religious Ethics, so that gives it some weight. But I want to make it clear this is more of an opinion piece rather than a rigorous or empirical study. But anyway, in the title it talks about exemplarity, which can be a little confusing. Um, it comes from this word exemplar, which think of it as uh, the Google definition, a person or thing serving as a typical example or an excellent model. So for a lot of people in the Republican Party, Trump is an exemplar. For the African-American community or the Black Lives Matter movement, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is an exemplar. So an exemplar is someone to look up to, and it gets a little more complicated because exemplars in our society are such huge, important figures that not a lot of people question. But this article goes into talking about why maybe we should question our exemplars a little more those models that we see as great figures. The author states that trying to live a moral life will have many failings and failures along the way. You know, when we try to live out our morals, we're not always succeeding. He gives the example of when a casually racist joke is mentioned. It He knows it might be bad, the author does, but he doesn't really know how to fight back on it, and he doesn't really have the courage to stand up for himself. Like, if you're in a new environment just trying to make friends, or you're in the workplace and you don't want to cause conflict, how do you address these situations when there's some morality in question? And it's even more difficult when you don't know what to do as opposed to just being a little afraid to say something. And then even more worrying would be the problem of agency, wherein you don't know how to tackle the problem or the problem seems way too big to fight like um, racism in the criminal justice system, there is very little the average person can do, or at least that's their perception. And climate change, you know, when you have governments, corporations, the agriculture industry pouring out hundreds of millions of tons of CO2, how are you as an individual supposed to fight that? But exemplars help us navigate all of these morals by letting us know what to do and what to say. And a lot of people view them the way that Christians view saints in their theology. And I should mention the author is a progressive Christian. In Christian theology, saints and Jesus and these figures are looked at not as having human limits, but as having reached perfection. They're not working products achieving a better version of themselves. They are the best version of themselves, and they have always kind of seemed like that. But this 
essay goes into talking about why we should kind of reject that when we're thinking about exemplars in daily life, like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Because everyone is human and everyone has their own limits. This essay overall seeks to reject individualism inherent in classical exemplarist theory in favor of social model of exemplarity. So basically it's saying, Instead of looking at individuals like Dr. King as the end-all, be-all, perfect model to look up to, we should look at them in the social context with which they exist and existed as more complicated than sometimes the, quote, mythology will uh, make them seem to our regular eyes. So first, the author went through the dangers of appealing to exemplars, and there's three examples romanticism of the exemplar, authoritarianism of the exemplar, and predetermination. To start with romanticism, we tend to romanticize our exemplars by downplaying their bad sides and highlighting their good sides. So with Dr. King, obviously he was great for the civil rights movement, but some of his limits um, included infidelity and cheating on his wife, which um, is not great, especially for a cre Christian preacher. But, you know, growing up and learning about Dr. King in elementary school, I never heard any of that stuff. Dr. King, in his time, he was equated to Jesus a lot. People who were pointing out his uh, infidelity were labeled as Judas's. And they said this because Judas was the betrayer of Jesus. So people who pointed out Dr. King's limits were betrayers of his entire cause. This idolatry actually has a double effect because it erases his complexity as a human being, and it also makes it impossible for others to emulate him. Because how are we supposed to be like Dr. King if Dr. King was perfect? It's impossible because he wasn't perfect. Nobody's perfect. And if you try to become somebody who has no flaws, that in itself is flawed. Authoritarianism means that they are the moral authority and you have to kind of do what they say, you kind of have to follow what they say, and it doesn't leave much wiggle room. So an example the author gave was that King was against gay marriage and had conservative views of affirmative action and conservative reactions to Islamic terrorism. So even though people may think he's some liberal hero, he got kind of skated over when it came to his other conservative values. And then the third is predetermination, which I thought was the most interesting, because people who we see as exemplary, maybe we're drawn to them because of our own preconceived moral choices, and it leads to a lack of moral imagination. So this means that maybe you're drawn to an exemplar, you're drawn to a role model, not because of the work of that role model, but because you already have your own ideas of morality, and this person just happens to fit them. So for Dr. King, being a male Christian preacher had its advantages over female leaders like Rosa Parks, Ella Baker, and Fannie Lou Hammer. So because he's a male preacher, he's already seen as kind of an authority figure or someone to draw your morals from. If you're a Christian or any religious person, you see your preacher every week and you look to them for moral guidance. So for Dr. King being a Christian preacher, 
a lot of people, and especially a lot of Christians, already saw him as a moral authority. And when he spoke in a language of peace and understanding and nonviolence, that's already something a lot of people have as a preconceived morality. So people are fitting their own morals on and choosing Dr. King, not because what Dr. King says is unique, but because it already fits what the people are feeling. So I called it kind of a reverse causality. An easy example is Trump because a lot of people view him as an exemplar in the Republican Party. They romanticize him by upholding his good values and downplaying all the bad things, you know. When the Exes Hollywood came out, uh, the tape where he said bad things about women, people were just saying, oh, that's just locker room talk. So they romanticize him by downplaying the bad. The authoritarianism comes in where everything Trump says is good, no matter what, and we have to listen to him and follow what he says. Then the predetermination comes in where, oh, he speaks like me. This is how I've always felt about these issues, and this is what I always thought. So it's the predetermination coming in. So you see both Dr. King and Trump in their own ways fit as an exemplar in modern American politics. Now, I wanted to talk about my own thoughts for a second because these failures, when we um, simplify exemplars into um, these role models and take away their complexity as human beings, it fits into the way our brains work, which I, is a theme I like to come back to. Our brains like to be very efficient. They make patterns out of things and they recognize things instantly. So, for instance, every time you drive by a tree, you're not thinking about all the different branches, the bark, the color, the leaves, the, whatever uh, birds or owls might be in the tree at the time. You just say tree. Your brain just thinks tree. Or even more efficiently, your brain just thinks lots of trees. Or even more efficiently, your brain doesn't even really see the trees. You might see them with your eyes, but you're not even interpreting it because... The patterns in your brain are just so used to it. The same way our brain is efficient by automatically recognizing patterns and simplifying things to their simplest forms, the least common denominators, that could be the same way we view exemplars where it's easy for a Republican to latch onto Trump and say what he does is good. Once you start parsing out what he says might be good or might be bad, you make it more difficult for yourself, especially for someone who works all the time, who might have a family to look after, who has to exercise every day. You don't have time to go through all of this, and that's why my business, Honest Politics LLC, seeks to make people's political lives easier by doing the research and the social media posts and everything for you. Now that I've talked a bit about my business, I want to make a quick advertisement, but I wouldn't have to do so many ads if you sponsored an episode. So you can go to honestpoliticsllc.com, scroll to the bottom and send me a message, or even better, just email alex at honestpoliticsllc.com, and then we can help you live out your political life even more fully. The author keeps going on and talks about the three dangers that I mentioned earlier, romanticism, authoritarianism, and predetermination. And then he says we should use a social lens to look at not just how an individual has personal responsibility for their morals, but how much of it is actually shaped by the worlds we occupy. 
So we need to look and understand that how we choose an exemplar is socially conditioned. We automatically recognize some people as moral authorities over other people. We need to recognize the social embeddedness of these social exemplars themselves, which means these people already have groups supporting them, and these exemplars are conditioned by the society we live in. They're not just guiding it all by themselves. Number three, groups can be exemplars, not just individuals. This is a bit of a complicated point this man made. He tried to talk about how the author admired the Black Lives Matter movement and occupied Wall Street. He was talking about how he admires these movements and perhaps not a single individual leads any of them, but how someone can appreciate the group. Um, this is kind of like how Ella B Baker talked about Martin Luther King at the time by saying, the movement made Martin rather than Martin making the movement, saying the civil rights movement influenced Dr. King more than Dr. King influenced the civil rights movement. I want to give some of my own thoughts on how we can view groups as exemplars rather than individuals, because if you simplify an entire group or organization, what you're really doing is reverting it back to the status of an individual by making it seem like it's a monolith. And I'm not sure if that's what the author was intending here, but kind of the impression I got, like when you look at the March for Our Lives movement, which was a reaction to the school shooting in Florida at a high school, and it seeks mainly to enact tougher gun laws around the country. So perhaps someone, instead of looking at an individual, they could look at the March for Our Lives movement as a exemplar. However, we do need to think about the complexity of these organizations because they are made up of different people and they might occasionally move in different directions. Like uh, David Hogg was t uh, one of the leaders of this movement and he tweeted something about how no democratic system can function with the donations of billionaires or something like that. You know, he's very against billionaires participating in donating to candidates. However, I'm pretty sure March for Our Lives, which is partially run by him, does take donations from billionaires. It relies on donations to run. And at the very least, people with disposable incomes are the ones donating to these political organizations. And who has disposable income like a billionaire? So you can see it gets a little morally complex when the needs of the organization clash with the desires or the morals of the individuals within them. So you have to address this complexity. And the author does address this later on by going and talking a little bit about how the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, which, conference which fought the Jim Crow laws, was kind of elitist and hierarchical in its structure, which the way it was written, the author made it seem like a negative to be elitist and hierarchically structured. But So he did look at this complexity a little bit, but I thought the part about groups being exemplars reduced them to a simplicity that could also be applied to individuals, if that makes sense. So I'm not sure looking at a group as an exemplar is much better than looking at an individual. I think his prior points about looking at individuals as complex human beings, as Pete Buttigieg says, looking at people as a basket of good and evil and trying to balance out those two parts of everybody, of oneself, that's more important. 
so another one of my own thoughts maybe instead of the statue of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. that was at the Tidal Basin, you know, the recently constructed monument. And the symbolism with that monument is that it's kind of coming out of a stone block that looks unfinished to symbolize that King's work is coming out, but it's still an unfinished product. We're still not at the racial equality that he desired and worked so hard for. But after reading this article, I thought maybe it might be better to have something more like the Korean War Memorial. If you've seen the Korean War Memorial, it's a bunch of figures solemnly trotting through towards a goal. And I thought perhaps the civil rights movement should be more similar where it's not just Dr. King who did all of this. But it was a group, it was a lot of different individuals, both supporting King and King supporting them. And even the bystanders, everyone who looked at the pictures of dogs attacking innocent people and thought, oh my god, what is this? This is horrible. Everyone who donated, everyone who voted, everyone who made the civil rights movement what it was. And of course, Dr. King had a huge role in it. And of course, he did have some great exemplary points. But it's important to address him as a complex individual because everyone is a complex individual. Everyone has their failings and everyone has their strengths. So thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope you found it a little informative, and if you like anything I had to say, go to honestpoliticsllc.com. The easiest way to contact me is emailing alex at honestpoliticsllc.com. I hope you have a great rest of the day, and I'll see you next time as we seek to discover more of the stories behind the statistics.